Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, there's that old saying. I know I've said it to you before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's an old one, I think. I don't know if the kids use that on the playground anymore, but it's an old saying. It used to be said out there on the playground when one kid would say something mean or do something mean to some other kid, that kid would shoot that phrase back in retaliation. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Names will never hurt me. The more you, have you heard that statement before? Raise your hand if you heard that before. Okay. All right. All right. The more you look at that statement, though, the more you begin to see that it's got some inadequacies and some inconsistencies, right? First, it implies that words don't have power, but that's kind of ironic because the saying is made of words, right? That's kind of contradictory. But most importantly, we know that words and names are really actually quite powerful, and they can hurt people deeply. In fact, studies have been done to show that verbal and emotional abuse may very well be more damaging than physical abuse. That's on the negative side of it. But we can also flip it around and look on the positive side of it, right? That words are powerful tools for good, for positivity, for encouragement, for change in the world. When someone utters words that give voice to what we think or what we feel or what we wonder about, we get pretty excited about that. We say, oh, I wish I would have said it that way because that gives, it gives voice to what I'm thinking, what I'm, what I'm wondering about, what I'm feeling. When people speak words of encouragement into our lives, the power of those words is amazing, right? Encouraging words, they, they build us up, they give us confidence, they give us identity, they give us purpose and energy and passion for life and so much more. Words are also used to unite us together in powerful ways, uh, one of the biggest ways is when a husband and wife come together in marriage. They make vows. They say, I do. They say, I will. We see that in public commitments all over the world. We see it in callings. We see it even in memberships, in churches. We see it, uh, people, when they serve God, they make a public vocal commitment with words. We saw it last week with those baptisms of those kids and the parents, the sponsors, and even you as a congregation. You said, I will, with the help of God. Words are powerful. And when you begin to think about it that way, you begin to realize that that old playground saying is actually quite wrong. Words are effective. Words are powerful. They are more damaging, and yet they are more life-giving than we give them credit for at times. And I think that if you actually pause and you think about it for a moment, you could resonate, that, resonate with that from your own experience in your life. And as I was pondering it over the last couple of weeks, it reminded me of this video I saw that talks about the power of words. You may have seen it few years ago. Let's try and show it on the screen there. I think you're very funny. I think you're amazing. I think you are brutal. I think everyone in here loves you. Great job.
All right. Have you seen that video before? It was kind of active on YouTube a while, or Facebook a while ago. Uh, it's pretty cool. You can see the story about the power of those words, right? From that teacher to those students, each day speaking positive words of encouragement, identity, and affirmation into their life, and it brought change into those students' lives. We see this all the time, right? Not just in the classroom. It's in the workplace. You see it in the church. You see it in friendships. You see it in marriage. But I think most profoundly, you see it in families from parent to child guardian to child. In fact, some of the most profound words in life have been spoken by a parent or guardian to a child. You hear this all the time, right? You hear people say, I remember when my mom told me. I remember when my dad said to me. Or sometimes it's some other mentor figure, right? A professor or a grandparent or a teacher, or foster parent, youth worker, counselor, spouse, an aunt, an uncle, somebody, mom or dad speaks a powerful word into your life and you realize that those words do have power. It's no surprise that as Christians, we put a high priority on words, especially the words of God, the word of God. It's why we read it every day. Every Sunday as we gather together, we speak the word of God. It's how we connect to God and God connects to us. In fact, without God's word, without us reading it and having it as part of our worship, we would really have no identity or affirmation or purpose And so we're going to look into God's word, we're going to look into the power of his word, and we're going to look at some different voices in Luke chapter 3, and just kind of a reminder where we've been and where we're going. We started out on Christmas, right? Jesus is born, he comes into the world, and now we're journeying through Epiphany, all the way then into Lent, into into Holy Week, into Jesus' suffering, and to his resurrection on the cross. But the spotlight right now is on Jesus. And in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is beginning his sort of public ministry, and we're looking at his baptism. And John the Baptist is sort of uh, getting out of the way as he was preparing the way for Jesus, and Jesus is coming on the scene. So Luke chapter 3, verse 15 says this. It says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John, John the Baptist, answered them all and says, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now those are some powerful words, right? But also, if you're honest, I'm probably thinking, those are kind of confusing too. What's he talking about there, right? We get that John is preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is the one who is more powerful than John the Baptist, the one who we cannot even touch his sandals. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. And so it's proper for John to, in humility, submit himself to the authority of Jesus. And so he talks about the power of Jesus' baptism. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I think we kind of get that Holy Spirit part, but what does he mean by fire? Well, Christians have debated this for centuries, for years, and we're probably not going to solve it 100% uh, this morning. But it seems to be that the Holy Spirit, and we're going to read in just a second, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in a public way in his baptism. And it's the start of his public ministry. It's kind of like his ordination. Then at the end of his public ministry, uh, he endures the fire of God's wrath for us on the cross. In fact, later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus calls his own death on the cross a metaphorical baptism. And he connects it to fire. 
Verse 49 of Luke chapter 12 says this. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Well, he's not talking about his baptism in the Jordan. He's talking about his baptism of fire on the cross. You see, Jesus seems to undergo this baptism with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of his ministry, and then this baptism of fire taking on God's wrath on the cross as a substitute for us at the end of his, uh, his public ministry, you might say. But after Jesus dies and then he rises again, he sends to the, to the right hand of the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and it comes upon the believers in flames of fire. And so those that are baptized into Jesus Christ are baptized with the Spirit, and this fire with which Jesus was baptized with. So John is saying, I baptize with water, but Jesus' baptism cleanses with the Holy Spirit and fire. And it points back to Jesus' baptism. And it points back to Jesus' baptism of fire on the cross. And it says that his death and his life and everything that he's accomplished becomes ours in baptism. Powerful words. Luke chapter 3 verse 18 continues and says, with many other, I would say, powerful words. John exhorted the people. He proclaimed the good news to them. But verse 19, it says, When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herod's marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he did, Herod added this up to all those evil things, and he locks up John in prison. You may remember us talking about that a month or so ago. John spoke powerful words of truth. Herod was doing evil things. And just like all the Old Testament prophets, John stood up, against unjust rulers and called them out with powerful words. And because of that, he was persecuted. And he foreshadowed the suffering and death of Jesus, just like all the Old Testament prophets were persecuted before for standing up for the truth. And he was preparing the way for Jesus in ways that he did not expect. But then these next words are so interesting and powerful. Luke 3 verse 21 says this. It says, when all of the people were being baptized by John the Baptist, it says, Jesus was baptized now, people have wrestled with this for a long time. Why? Right? Why was Jesus baptized if it was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Jesus is sinless. He doesn't need forgiveness. He doesn't need to be baptized. And that's where many people in the church, they've answered, well, he's identifying with humanity. He's standing in complete solidarity with us from his birth and his baptism all the way to his suffering and death. Jesus stands both with us and for us. And that's powerful and true. But this next part of Scripture adds, I think, even more to what's going on here. You're going to see a powerful image, one of the rarest, rare images in the, in the Scriptures where you see the triune God, Father and Son, Holy Spirit, just in one verse. It says, as he was praying, that's Jesus, heaven was opened. Very rarely in the Scriptures that say that the heavens were open. The heavens were open. Something big is happening. Heaven was open, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, on Jesus, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you, you, I mean, it's emphatic there, is you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Christians have pondered the mystery of this verse for a long time, and they're going to keep pondering it for decades and millennia to come. But in this verse here, we see the triune God, one God, three persons in community. We see them in family with each other. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because this is at the outset of Jesus' public ministry. And he's just not starting a new job. He's not just going off to college. He's not even going off to war or some other big life event. He is starting the biggest job in the history of humanity. He's starting his mission to save the entire world. And he hears these words from his dad. They aren't directed at John the Baptist. They aren't directed at the crowds. They aren't generic words. They aren't in the third person. They are specific words from God the Father to God the Son, ordained by God the Holy Spirit. You are my son. Luke 23, 22. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Other scriptures, they they give uh, other translations of the Bible, say it a little bit differently, and it kind of brings out all the nuances of it. One version says, you are my own dear son. I'm pleased with you. Another version says, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Another verse says, you are my son, and I love you. I'm very pleased with you. And the message paraphrases it this way. It says, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love. You're the pride of my life. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Those are words of identity. Those are words of family. Those are words of relationship and love and commitment and purpose and encouragement and empowerment. They're powerful words. More powerful than the thunder that woke us up all in bed yesterday at 3 in the morning. Anybody hear that? Man, I thought the roof was going to rip off my house. I mean, it was powerful, right? To the Almighty God, that's just a tiny little whisper. These words are spoken, powerful words. The God of the universe, the Almighty Lord, utters those words to Jesus. He says, you are my child. I love you. I'm proud of you. My friends, we can learn so much from those words. Isn't that what every child needs to hear, right? They need to hear that. Every day from before they're born. And what's so cool about it is is that the father says these words to Jesus not after he's finished his work, right? Not after he goes to the cross and after he rises victorious. Not after the miracles. Not after the preaching. Not after the healing. Not after his public ministry. Not after everything that Jesus does in his three years of ministry. The father says it before. The father says, you are my son. You are my child. You belong to me. You are part of this family. You have a father. You have an identity. You are my son whom I love. He says, I love you. Not because of anything you've done to earn it, but because you are my child. I love you. I'll never stop loving you. No one can take that away. You are my son whom I love With you, with you, I'm well pleased. You bring me great joy. I am proud of you. You're the pride of my life. I've got your picture on the fridge and on the background on my phone. I've been proud of you before you were even born. And I've been wondering about this. Did Jesus need to hear that before he started his public ministry? As a son, as a child, did he need to hear that? 
You could ponder the mystery of that forever. And I'm not talking about it like Jesus needed to hear that like because he was sinful and he was broken and he was lacking in some sort of way. But in, in a way that says that even within the perfect relationship of God himself, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even within the Godhead himself, words of identity and affirmation and outpouring of love and encouragement are essential, are indicative, are representative, are what God is. I mean, that is huge, my friends, to think about that. And as I was thinking about it this past week, my mind was fast-forwarding to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the agony of the cross, where Jesus, the Son, gave up all of that for us. So that everything that Jesus heard in his baptism, we could hear in our own baptism. That the almighty, powerful God, who's that giant thunder yesterday, was just a whisper. That powerful, almighty God speaks those very words that he spoke to Jesus in his baptism. He speaks to us in our baptism. And he says to you this morning, he says to me, he says to all of us, he says it to us every day. He says, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. I love you and I always will. With you, I am well pleased. You are the pride of my life. I got your picture on the fridge. I got your picture on my phone. I love you. Those kids in that video, it's a powerful video. They heard words like that from their teacher, right? Every day, and it changed their entire classroom. It changed their lives. My friends, you're no different than those kids. You need to hear those words every day from your father. Take that bulletin home, open that scripture, read them every day, hear them every day. Your heavenly father is saying them to you every day. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And if you hear those words every day, it'll change your life forever. If you hear those words every day, it will transform your life forever. And if you hear those words every day, you cannot help but say them to others. That includes your own kids. That includes your people in your life group. That includes the people in the pew next to you. That includes everyone that God is bringing into your life. And that's the way the Heavenly Father has called us to change all of his children and bring identity and affirmation and love. Hear the words of the Heavenly Father to you right now again. You are my child, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased.